Welcome to the Glory Tellers Podcast. We're your hosts, Emily, Caitlin, and Beth Ann. Here we share stories of people who are doing extraordinary things in the midst of their ordinary lives. All for the glory of God. We are so excited you're here. Let's dive in. Hey, Tyler. Hi. Can you hear us okay? I can. Okay, good. This is super cool because I've Isn't heard it? you all talk about how you're like in your car recording and I could like never figure it out, although it's really hot. So I hope you're not in a car today. <laughs> we aren't. And Tyler, this is Emily talking right now. There's there's going to be three of us talking today. So I know it's going to be <laughs> a little confusing since you're coming all the way from New York City. So I am currently actually recording in my children's playroom and it's just so ironic that I'm talking to you today because it's a disaster. I mean, it needs some serious help and attention. And it's I'm having a hard time focusing because there's about um, there's just tiny little fires everywhere. It's like, I don't understand why you all are the way that you are. So, yeah, well, I do think a big question for you to ask yourself is whether your toy room is the place where toys are stored or where. Mm-hmm. Or the place where play happens. Yes. Because I do think that distinction is Mm -hmm. huge. Mm -hmm. Because that's what we find. It's like often, it's like when they run out of space to actually play in their tiny playroom, which ours is a glorified hallway. I mean, it's tiny. Um, It's like that's when it's time to take things back to our toy rotation. But for some, the concept of a toy rotation is so, like, foreign. Right. But yet it's been such a game changer just because it allows that like reset of the play space to happen Mm -hmm. because it like we were at a museum this morning and we were and when we struggled with this too because we're like oh my gosh this space is just like so beautiful and open and inviting Mm -hmm. and why can't we have that Mm. and then we're like we can but you know it's just like baby steps of like how to make it just a little bit better but yes even in the small space dwelling, we struggle with it all the time. So backtrack, you probably do not know this because we don't know each other, but we lived in a camper while we built our house. So we were in 200 square feet for eight months with our three children and two dogs. And I would not recommend that to anyone. However, oh my goodness. <laughs> it really kind of hit the reset button for how much we needed. Yeah. And So I will say that that helped us significantly. But then when we moved into this house, we were like space toys. (laughs) So we're kind of, you know. Yeah. I mean, and and it's because we're just sort of ingrained and it's subconscious in a lot of ways that when we see empty space, we have a need to like fill it. And you're like Mm. the amount of stuff that you need is really dip- we're almost like hermit crabs, you know, like hermit yeah. crabs, they completely fill out their shell uh-huh. and then they like shed the shell and then they go find the next one. Yeah. And it's like, that's also what our culture tells us is like, which we'll probably get into, which is like, <laughs> yeah. you've got to, you know, you have to work more so that you can make more money so that you can yeah. buy the bigger house for your kids mm-hmm. so that then you have to continue to work more hours to pay for all of this stuff, mm-hmm. which actually takes you away from your kids mm-hmm. and the things that, so it's this weird, it's this weird, like cultural cycle. But I do think resets like that are so helpful, like the mm-hmm. 200 square feet, because I would imagine there are still things, there's still things that you learn from like living in 200 square feet that you can still apply to your life right. now. And it's at least a point of reference to go back to. Oh my goodness. You are preaching. He just came right? out. Listen, this was some really, this was wisdom. So this is not getting cut. I'm adding this to the episode, (laughs) but let me just say, we are so excited to have you here today. You are coming in hot for our first or for our third season here. And we are so excited to have you. And we are going to let Kate just give a little brief introduction of who you are and why we're talking to you today. Okay. Well, hey, Tyler. Hey. (laughs) How are you? Good. Good. Well, I am so excited to introduce you. Um, Well, so podcast listeners, today we have Tyler Moore with us. 
And I first met him and his wife back in college. Is that right, Tyler? Yeah, at good okay. old, um, at Eagle's Nest. Yes. Yeah, so we were working at a local elementary school summer program. And I just remember how fun you made that time. <laughs> but um, just your humor and your hard work ethic. And that just always stood out to me. Um, but now you have this vibrant social media platform called Tidy Dad, where you help others celebrate living tidy, simple and joyful living. Um, and so Tyler also has his wife, Emily, and their three girls, and they live in New York City, which is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has been featured on Good Morning America. This list is pretty long, by the way. Um, <laughs> apartment therapy, Apple News, m- magazines, podcasts. Is that right? Did I leave anything out? No, that's good. It's a, okay. It makes me, you know, it sounds so important. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we think you are, Um, but we are just so honored to have you here on the podcast today. So welcome. Thanks. Thanks. It's so good to talk with you all. And I really love the mission of what you're doing. And I feel like just telling stories because at the end of the day, we are all just like ordinary people trying our best, um, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to learn and to grow. But I feel like the mission that you all have is, it's just so cool. And I also feel like as three moms, like diving into a passion that you have and like God-given talents and using them in a way that just glorifies him. I just think it's super cool. Well, Well, that's awesome. Thank you for that encouragement. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, This is Bethann here talking now. Gosh, it's three of us. I know. know. (laughs) (laughs) Hard to keep track. But um, speaking of stories, we want to jump in just right into your overall story and how you became Tidy Dad. So take it away. Yeah. So I really became Tidy Dad um, as a result of this early 30s, I'll say, like crisis or like mental breakdown in Mm -hmm. so many ways. Um, And I feel like so many people can relate because particularly when you have kids, there's nothing like becoming a parent that just totally changes like every fiber of your being in ways Mm -hmm. that you never could have anticipated. Mm -hmm. And so for someone like me, like I had followed a very straight lined trajectory. I was that kid that always tried to do well in school. Um, I, you know, went to college. I tried my absolute hardest. I was in all the clubs. I made friends. I did everything that I could um, to succeed. I entered my first job as a teacher. Um, In my second year of teaching, I was awarded my district's um, Teacher of the Year Award um, after I treated it like a beauty pageant. Because once I (laughs) earned Teacher of the Year at my school, I was like, I am going all the way and I will be the District Teacher of the Year. And I was. um, But then I had a dream to move to New York City. Um, Luckily, my wife was encouraging of that dream. And so I, you know, applied to graduate schools. I got into Columbia University. I taught full time. I went to grad school part time, um, you know, got my degree, then moved into what I thought was the natural next step of becoming a school administrator, because um, the stereotype is that for men, um, once you've taught for two years, three years, everybody starts to ask, well, when are you going to become an administrator? And, you know, my dad was an elementary school teacher and then he became an administrator and he didn't put any pressure on me, but I always did feel like that would have to be my natural next step. Because if you want to make more money, um, you have to move into administration. Um, and then, and so I did that. And then we had our second daughter and, I started to completely crumble inside. A lot of the feelings, particularly around making decisions in order to please others or in order to gain acceptance from others, I started to see that I had been doing that for a large portion of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to work every day as an administrator and I tried my absolute best to please everyone at that school. Mm -hmm. to the detriment 
of my own family Mm -hmm. to the detriment of my own mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was one day when my daughter, my daughter Matilda was um, like seven months old. Um, I had had a really bad stretch at work where I was, you know, just completely overwhelmed. I felt like all of the strategies that I had once had for handling just the anxiety that overcame me every day. Like I just came to a breaking point. It was the point where I was like crying when I was going to work. The Sunday night blues, which we all can sort of identify from time to time, became Saturday blues, became Mm -hmm. Friday blues, where I was already by the end of the week, um, you know, just dreading the start of the next new week. And it was one point I was walking to work and I had this conscious thought of, it might just be easier to walk into traffic right now Mm -hmm. and avoid all of these feelings that I'm having. And it was, it was a huge wake up call to me. And so Mm -hmm. I talked to my wife, we started couples therapy together. Mm -hmm. It was serendipitous. It was godly intervention, but New York state passed a paid family leave law. And because my daughter was under the age of one, I was able to take leave from my job. I took nine weeks full-time off and then I came back part-time. And while we were on, while I was on leave, that's when we started like tidying our apartment, trying to get things in order. Um, But through that process, I also realized that I had to make dramatic changes in my life. Mm -hmm. One of them was I had to step down from my job I made the decision to return to teaching. And just that moment of wanting to walk out into traffic, I didn't, I had never understood up until that point how people could make decisions consciously that might drive them to that place. But I had, and a lot of those decisions had been rooted in trying to please others or convince others that I was like okay inside or worthy of their. Um, affection or appreciation or acknowledgement that I was just this smart, like so capable, helpful guy. Um, And so that moment really then started this like process of me tidying up my life. And I'm still on that journey of still trying to figure out, um, you know, like what just enough really does look like for Mm -hmm. myself and my family. I still struggle at times with seeking the approval of others um you know but after three years of therapy um a lot of prayer and counsel from people at our church you know i was able to make some dramatic changes um so i'm on the other side in many ways of that tidying journey but that is just the scope of how you know dark things got but i also feel like there are many aspects of my own journey that people can resonate with too. Absolutely. And I mean, to come to that point and to be able to acknowledge it and come home, talk to your wife, know that, Hey, I think that I might need to go talk to someone about this. That is extremely brave. And I hope that people are really listening to that, to know that that does not make you any less of a person. Um, being vulnerable to someone else, if you need that, I mean, absolutely seek that out. Like they're there to help, you know? Um, And I think that that was, that was a very brave move for you because I'm sure at that point you had convinced yourself that like you said, everything, it's just going to be easier if I just walk into traffic. I mean, if you had consciously in your brain come to that conclusion, that was a really, I bet that was a hard, um, move to make to say, you know what, actually, maybe I do need help coming from a people pleaser to a people pleaser. I understand that. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so much about control. And I had done so much to try to remain, remain in control by Mm -hmm. trying to control situations at work, trying to control my wife, our young daughters. And it was just this moment of being completely out of control. And then actually seeking a professional to help. Um, And I feel like it's something that, like, I know, Caitlin, you've you've talked about it on your social media, your own struggles with anxiety. And I do, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's interesting for you to comment on, but I do feel like 
some of what I, some of the messages that I got growing up was that when I had those feelings or thought, it was almost as if it were like an, a sin issue or mm-hmm. I wasn't praying hard enough or mm-hmm. I wasn't being like faithful enough mm-hmm. where as what I actually learned in therapy that, you know, the, there may be some of that, but also I just didn't have the tools in my tool belt mm-hmm. to know how to manage it, even mm-hmm. from as granular as knowing how to like breathe deeply when I feel an anxiety wave coming on or being able to name to my wife in concrete details, like what my actual feelings are. And I remember mm-hmm. when my therapist said, something about how like feelings are okay, but actions aren't always okay. Mm -hmm. And that was something that was so powerful that it's like the feeling of being anxious, of being overwhelmed, of feeling stress is okay. What's not okay is like screaming at my wife. What's (laughs) not okay is being like condescending to the people that's around me or Mm -hmm. wanting to storm off, erupting in this angry sort of fit. So I do feel like in the three years of therapy, I had to actually learn tangible strategies, but then like fight against some of those stereotypes that I always felt about therapy and Mm -hmm. mental health and anxiety Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that no one had, no one had come out. No one in the church had specifically said like, Anxiety means that you're sinning, or if you have these (laughs) feelings, that's a sin. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like, you know, and I think it's changing now, and Mm -hmm. particularly thinking about the church that we're in in New York City, where people talk about mental health and our pastors talk about it. I just don't feel like growing up, I necessarily heard people talking about that. And so Mm -hmm. then when I had this crisis, I initially just felt completely out of control Mm -hmm. and like there was something so wrong with me. Whereas Mm -hmm. I actually learned like, no, lots of people have feelings like this. Mm -hmm. Um, And it might just mean that you don't have strategies at that time to like know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And And what, Oh, you go ahead, Kate. Well, just what like boldness, and bravery there is and just like stepping out and just saying, I'm not okay. You know, like this yeah. is, this is not okay. I'm not okay. I don't know what to do about this, but I know there's gotta be a change, you know, like yeah. that is like Emily alluded to, like that is such a hard moment, but yet you chose like the bravery and the boldness to take that step. Yeah. Um, and I'll never forget, like in the midst of therapy, I mean, like obviously therapy unearths so much about our stories and what our triggers are and what causes things. And so, you know, I, I grew up, my parents divorced when I was a young kid. Um, I would not a young kid, I would say, and I was in middle school um, going into eighth grade and that unprocessed like trauma that I would cause it, that I would call it really didn't surface until I was, you know, a parent myself And so that was one of the big things of going through therapy to be able to connect to myself that, you know, as teenagers, we don't want to feel like we're different at all. And Mm -hmm. I remember becoming like the first kid at my church whose parents were divorced Mm -hmm. and the feeling of the scarlet letter being on me. Mm -hmm. And so what I did that that connected to the people pleasing because I, from then on, did everything that I could to come across as normal, okay, or more of an achiever in some areas compared with um, like my peers or friends. And so I remember talking to my therapist because at one point I was like, in therapy, I realized like, I have to forgive my parents. I don't know that I've actually like forgiven them. Mm. And I had to go up for prayer. It was like one of the only times I've done it at church because I was just so, um, I was just so distraught and upset to the point where like I, it was hard for me to like talk to my parents, to want to go home to Kentucky to visit because I was just in that downward spiral. And I was like, I have to forgive them. And I walked up and it was the pastor and his wife who prayed over me and just helped me through this process of forgiveness 
And it was literally like after that prayer, a total weight lifted off my shoulders. I felt, truly felt forgiveness. And it was then powerful to go back to my therapist who was not a Christian therapist and say, like, actually went up for prayer yesterday and asked for (laughs) forgiveness. And I do feel like, or I asked for help in forgiving my parents. And that was such an interesting conversation to have with her that it's like in our darkest moments, we still can have a witness to others. And I don't know her, you know, religious background. Um, But yet, you know, it is interesting to think about how we can use our pain in order to just minister to others Mm -hmm. and it does come that from that place of just being vulnerable um and sharing our struggles because we all have them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right right i don't think any of that pain is going to be wasted either um Mm -hmm. so that is a huge reason why we love to share these stories is because we all suffer at some point in our life we all have a story to share and by you sharing your vulnerability or you sharing your story and being vulnerable, it's going to help someone else. And I mean, we've seen that as a ripple effect in all of our episodes. And mm-hmm. it's it's the stories like this that you don't see highlighted. You know, you see yeah. all kinds of famous people and, and the trials that they went through, but you don't get to hear about um, Tyler who lives in New York City and has overcome depression and anxiety and is living this fruitful life now. Like you don't hear stories like that. And we want to shine a light on that and show how God can take that pain and make something beautiful out of it. And you have certainly done that. You have taken where you came out of brokenness, where you said you were ready to step into traffic. And what I see now laced in your life, just from what little I know from social media is that you truly care about your family so deeply and you try to make everything so purposeful and intentional and loving and you're teaching your kids how to be purposeful and intentional and loving. And you're having that ripple effect now in your family's life where you're ending that cycle and you are showing them how much you love them. Like you actually, you said on your Instagram stories the other day, cause I wrote down a quote that you said um, that you clean and you show your family that you care because that is where life happens and you want to show your love to your family that way. And I think that is so beautiful. And I love how you have created Tidy Dad out of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're going to be blessed immensely because of that and because of your um, vulnerability and sharing your story. So tell us now you've, you, you came to this point, you've switched gears, you've decided, you know what, I'm not going to live like this anymore. You've started tidying up because you lived in New York City. What switched it from you just tidying up your space so that your family could live more functional in a small space to Tidy Dad being born? Yeah, it's so funny because um, so one of the books that we read, which you all are probably familiar with, is Marie Kondo. So she has The Magical Art of Tidying Up Mm -hmm. and she has a follow up book called Spark Joy. Mm -hmm. And so when we were in the midst of our tidying sort of chaos, what happened was, is I had the grand idea one day, as soon as I started my family leave, um, I can't sit still for very long. So Mm -hmm. for about a day or two, I was off work. And then I was like, okay, like I have to do something with this energy. And so to my wife over breakfast, I said, you know what? I think that we should switch bedrooms with the girls. I was like, we're in the largest bedroom. They're in the smallest bedroom. We're only in our bedroom to sleep. I was like, I think they need the bigger bedroom because they could actually have space to play. And let's just take the smaller bedroom. And Mm -hmm. Emily was like, you know what? I think that that's a great idea. I don't know that we need to start it like right now. So I was (laughs) like, okay. And so then she went out with her sister who is our downstairs neighbor. um, And they took the girls out and I was like, I'm going to show Emily that this was such a great idea and I'm going to switch all the furniture while she's gone. <laughs> You're so, the male version of me. I, yeah. I cannot. I am. Once, the, once I get the idea, 
Like, yeah. and it's, and it's, it's, pr- it's not the best quality of mine, but I'm like, I will wear you down by explaining <laughs> how great of an idea it is or just by doing it and proving to you that yeah. it's a great idea. Yeah. So I started moving all the furniture in our bedrooms and I basically like imploded the apartment <laughs> because we were those people and it's a parallel to my own mental health journey. Mm-hmm. We were those people that when the cabinet doors were closed, everything looked put together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when you open up those doors, you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like what is all this stuff? Yeah. So that's what happened because it was just me by myself. So I had to empty pieces of furniture to be able to move them. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, oh my gosh, like who decided what goes where? What is this? So I basically imploded <laughs> the apartment. Emily came home and I had furniture. I had switched it, not all fully, but there was stuff everywhere. And she was in a very <laughs> kind and loving way. She was just like, oh my gosh, what have you done? And I was <laughs> like, I know we can't put it back. So she said, I'm going to go to the library. We've both heard of Marie Kondo. Let me just go to the library and let me get her books and then I'll come back. And she did. And over the course of the next like six months, we worked through basically like every chapter in the book. And we just went through the process as she outlined it. And what was helpful is that she gave us a structure that we didn't have to come up with on our own. And the strategies seemed like super thoughtful and easy. So we started with clothing, then we moved on to books, then paper, and then what she calls kimono, which is all the accessories or just like random assortment of items. And then you move on to sentimental. And so we worked through getting everything in order and we did see a dramatic like improvement to just our overall like daily lives and just learning some practical strategies of like where things should go and again we looked like we had everything together when the cabinet doors were closed Mm -hmm. but now we were like oh things are actually purposely in their places and like to this day i mean all of my clothing for all four seasons fits in my um six and a half foot tall by 14 inch wide closet and i walk to work in all types of weather. And so I'm just very proud of that fact still to this day. But then Marie Kondo's show, she had this show called Tidying Up on Netflix premiered. And we were so enthusiastic about it. But a lot of our friends on Facebook and people just commented and they were like, this doesn't seem real. Mm -hmm. Like, I am loving watching this show, but I don't see anybody with kids. I don't see any families. I don't see the real mess. Like, is this actually real? So that's when we started our Instagram page um, right after the show launched. Mm -hmm. And we started it as more living because my last, our last name is more. So we thought Mm -hmm. more living isn't that cute. But then I started using the hashtag tidy dad and I was the one super passionate about posting on Instagram. Uh And a friend actually said, you're using the hashtag tidy dad all the time. Like, why don't you just make that your name? Mm -hmm. And then after making that name was when we really saw so much growth because people it's weird I mean I'll call it weird but like it's I'm in a very female dominated totally saturated niche Mm -hmm. oftentimes I am now lumped into like the mommy blogger or mom influencer and then there's this like dad who's Uh like doing a lot of things that mommy bloggers do Uh and it's not to discount what mommy bloggers do but like what my wife has said before is like Sometimes it's refreshing to see someone like her as a female. She says it's sometimes refreshing to see someone who's not a female doing these other things. Like it just gives this totally different spin on it. Right. So (laughs) people find the whole tidy dad thing intriguing. I do feel like I'm pushing some of the boundaries around male, female stereotypes, Mm -hmm. trying to, you know, show that men and women do take on a variety of roles in the home. There Mm -hmm. is there should be balance within the home. Um, Men also live in homes. So I don't know why (laughs) women are the only ones that are cleaning. Um, 
Can you yeah. preach that louder? <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> just it's just mind bl- it's just mind blowing to me. And so many men are like, "Well, I don't know how." And it's like, do you understand that I'm like teaching you, or there's like YouTube, or you just get a rag <laughs> and like some cleaner and just start? Right. But I I do feel like as tidy dad, like my girls seeing me scrub the toilet, they know I have a weekday routine cleaning routine. They know that I'm like trying to balance working full time while also helping with parenting and helping with things around the house. Like mm-hmm. men, it's not can, but they should be doing these things too. Even just to show the little girls, their, their daughters or their sons, like that these are things that they should like learn how to do. And they will need to know when they move on in their lives. Um, but I do like that Tidy Dad is pushing some of these stereotypes and boundaries, at least I hope. I do too. I love it. Mm -hmm. I do too. It's amazing. And I mean, I started following you, you know, when you all made your move to New York City. Um, I love just watching your pictures of just living there and just thinking, wow, even just the fact of living in an apartment, like, wow, like (laughs) just the lifestyle change because, you know, I know we're from the same little small town in Kentucky. Um, and just, I don't know, it's just been always so inspiring to me and now you've just taken it to the next level. Um, but tell us a little bit about that, like moving from small town, Kentucky to New York city. Um, and just what that's like. Yeah. I mean, it's going to sound so strange to draw this parallel, but our neighborhood in Astoria in so many ways does feel like small town living. Um, Because what a lot of people like to say is that New York City is just a large city made up of all of these little pockets of community, you know, of much smaller communities. And so that was something that was like eye opening to us when we moved. I mean, people really do have a very, a somewhat small, like geographical footprint in New York City. So like, for example, you know, our laundromat is right across the street. We have the bagel shop that's an avenue down that we always go to. We have our grocery store that's on the other block. Um, you know, our park is another block away. It's like our apartment is in the middle of this pinwheel. And like you sort of establish these like routines and habits of daily living that then allow you to like come into contact with the same people again and again and again. So like when I wash clothes, I typically do it on Sunday mornings before church because the laundromat is empty, but I always wash our clothes with the same people every Sunday. Um, The bodega, which is like, basically a bodega is like a gas station, but they don't sell gas. You know, it's like everything on the inside of the gas station. Um, (laughs) But like whenever I go in to get milk, like, the man in the bodega always gives the girls lollipops. And if I don't take them in, he asks where they are. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, at church, we developed, um, it was somewhat new to us, but we joined a community group that was based on geographical location Mm -hmm. because like proximity is just so important in every city, but also in New York city, when you're talking about like getting on the subway or commuting, um, So that really became when we first moved, that really became like our family because we met, you know, in a community group with the same people on Wednesday nights and then we would hang out with them on the weekends. So that really helped us with our adjustment. But it was funny because when we hit the two year mark and after I graduated from Columbia, everybody was like, so when you have kids, like you're going to have to move back. And we were like... (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. Like, you know that my wife's a pediatric occupational therapist and I'm an elementary school teacher and there are over a million children in the New York City public school system. So like (laughs) children do live here. Um, So that was one of the biggest things is like when we did start to have our kids, um, you know, there was a lot of just questions. um, And that is the hard part about living in New York City there. it, It is very transient. So you do start to see, especially when kids turn like two or three, like people do start to move. And this 
you know, this past 17 months with the pandemic has been so difficult Mm -hmm. um, just because we've, we've just transitioned back um, to New York after being at our cottage for 17 months. Um, Oh, wow. So it is, it's like starting over again because Mm -hmm. a lot of the, the friends have left and, you know, we're reminded there, there are so many memories that flood back. So it's this constant feeling of like nothing has changed, but at the same time, everything has. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember when we moved this feeling of, will I ever, will New York City ever feel like home? Because so much of what we think about, and we had family say this to us, they were like, we would take them to Times Square because everybody wants to go to Times Square. Right. And they were like, oh, I could never live here. <laughs> and I was like, I could never live here either. Why in the world <laughs> would I choose to live in Times Square? Right. Um, you know, so it's like, we don't live in Times Square, but we do live in a small, like, city. And it is fun, because I remember as a kid, like, growing up in LaGrange, and we had this really cute downtown with, like, the train that would go down the middle. And I just love that feeling of, like, downtown living. Mm-hmm. And Astoria is sort of like that. You just have, like a lot more downtown LaGrange main streets, one after another, after another, after <laughs> another. So there are, there are some similarities, but it, it is, it's a very, you know, it is sometimes it does, it still feels so foreign from where we grew up. Um, but it's, it, yeah, it's just been such a wonderful place to live. Now you mentioned your cottage. Is that also in New York? It's not. So we, in 2019, um, which I will call, godly provision Mm -hmm. it was divine intervention over the summer um we went to a yoga retreat my wife and i it was our 10th anniversary and it didn't turn out to actually be a yoga retreat it was (laughs) us with this woman who her name was ashira rose and she was i don't even know how you describe it she was like a non-denominational like spiritual healer lady So she knew a lot about like all the denominations, but she didn't, and religions, but she didn't subscribe to one. Okay. So I'll just point that out there. But we were there for like three or four days on this yoga retreat. And we did do yoga, um, but it was like hiking and being out in the woods. And she ate every meal with us. And she was almost like a therapist. And we were like, to her one day at dinner, we were like, you know, we've been toying around, like, we don't know what to do. We are, we had just found out that we were expecting our third daughter. Um, And we were like, we don't know what to do. We're feeling like space might become an issue. Um, We would love a place to escape. We would love a place for grandparents because it's really hard when grandparents come and stay in our apartment. It's so many people. We have one bathroom. Like it just doesn't feel like that great of a visit. And she was like, what if you tried like thinking outside of the box of like what might be possible and we Emily and I were both like oh that's so interesting okay we could think outside of the box and so we went back to our little like hut in the woods where we were living and where we were staying and we were like what would it look like for us to think outside of the box like that problem is we want grandparents to visit mm-hmm. but There's no place for them to stay. It's super expensive to get a hotel. We also want a place to like retreat as a family and have a bit more space. What could we do? And then we were like, what if we started looking for a property? And so Mm -hmm. there were two families at church that had homes in this little neighborhood in the Poconos of Pennsylvania, which is about a two hour drive away. Oh, okay. So like four weeks after that yoga retreat, we looked up three houses on Zillow. We drove out, chose the one that we liked the best, put an offer on the house and we bought it. And Emily and I are like total planners. And this felt so strange to do. Like we had never moved that fast in our lives, but (laughs) yet just walking in the house, we just had this immediate feeling that like, this is what we should do. And we were like, okay, let's go through the buying process. Let's go through the, um, you know, you can go through the appraisal. You can go through the inspection. There are so many ways to get out of buying a house. Mm-hmm. Like just because you put an offer doesn't mean that you have to really buy it. Mm-hmm. But then I remember getting to the end and signing the paperwork. 
and it was ours. And we were both like, oh my gosh, what did we just do? <laughs> um, but then, um, you know, let's see, that was October, November, December, January, February, March, five months later, our daughter was born March 16th, which was the day that the world shut down. And we were able to retreat away as a family for 17 months. Um, So it's like, God knew what was going on because the timeline, like if it had been any slower, like we may not have been ready to be able to go. We literally got the house fully ready. We were going to start renting it out as a short-term rental in February of 2020. We had just gotten it, you know, pretty much set. And then the pandemic hit and our family moved in. Um, So it was definitely a blessing to get that house. And it's just so everything just happened. I mean, it it, it was only God. And so many people have said, said that, which was just like, God was looking over you all. Um, And it's not to discount at all or say that we couldn't have, you know, like survived the pandemic here Mm -hmm. in New York city. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it was really difficult having a, you know, when we, when we, when Margaret was born, we had a three-year-old, a baby and um, an almost five-year-old in 700 square feet when you, you know, when we couldn't leave Mm-hmm. Um, oh I mean, it was really, it was really a difficult time, but the cottage has been such a blessing. I had a similar instance in 2019 as well, where I felt like God was really calling our family to do something. And it just felt, I was like, what? Like, yeah. what? like just so not what we had planned. And it's so refreshing to remember that he knows what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, out of our uh, obedience in in following that that longing that he puts on our heart i do i do feel like he blesses that obedience and it sounds like he's done that in your life over and over i i do have to ask you though so for for our listeners listening to your story majority of them are going to be mothers because a lot of our listeners are mothers um and so i i would like to know what would you tell the mom who is sitting in her playroom (laughs) looking at all the toys. No, but really, what would you tell the mom who is just completely overwhelmed? Like, yeah, his lifestyle sounds amazing. What he does sounds great. I wish I could live like that. But they're just so overwhelmed with life and the chaos of the world and, you know, kids to take care of. What would you tell the parent who, what's the first step in, in that type of life? Yeah. So I do feel like the first step, it's very similar to what the flight attendants always tell us when we are on an airplane, is that if there is an issue and we have to put oxygen masks on, put your oxygen mask on first and then put on your child's oxygen mask. Mm -hmm. When it comes to tidying and organizing or just like bringing order to the chaos that you might feel, the instinct is always to try to take care of your kids stuff first or to think mm-hmm. about your kids first. But honestly, it's always better to deal with your things first. So yeah. when I talk about my closet, um, it sounds crazy, but at any given point in time, the playroom, our living room, our kitchen may feel completely chaotic. Mm-hmm. I am still able to walk into our bedroom and I can open up my closet and have this overwhelming feeling of like joy because I know that all of my things have a place. I know where everything is. And I know that my children like aren't allowed in it and don't (laughs) have a need to go in it. They have no need to go into my closet. But at the end of the day, that closet feels calm Mm -hmm. and I know where everything is. Mm -hmm. From once my wife and I dealt with our clothing, we then moved to our bedroom and we were like, okay, if we can make our bedroom like this calm, peaceful retreat of a space, even in the midst of everything insane going on, if we can go into our bedroom and take a few minutes or even at night, just to close our eyes and rest our heads and know that we're surrounded by like things that bring joy, things that are calm, 
things that are orderly, um, we are better able to then handle the messes that are going to come on the next day. And I also feel like by tidying my own clothing in my closet, I then learned things that I was then able to apply to other messes. So to that mom, I would say, stand up from the chaos of toys around you, go to your closet and see what you can do to just make a few practical like changes in order to make things better. And the strategy that I always recommend is to completely clear the closet to sort through and touch every article of clothing, go through it and actually name for yourself what you like and what you don't like. And honestly, you don't need other people's opinions to tell you because you know when you try on clothing what you like and don't, what mm -hmm. makes you feel good or doesn't. And then, you know, start to carve out a space that's for you and you alone. And then start to think about others. That is great advice. That is a great place to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And this is not for everyone. So I'm not saying everyone should do this. But um, my husband and I take it maybe a step farther with our bedroom than a lot of people do. And we're like, we're not even putting pictures of the kids in here. 100%. <laughs> That's funny that you said that because we, we made that decision um, as well when we were doing when we were making over our bedroom. And I think for us, it was like, the kids are in every other space in yeah. our home and yeah. we need a space that is like not for them. Now I say this, but the girls actually have to walk through our bedroom to get to their bedroom mm -hmm. because we live in a railroad style apartment, which mm -hmm. means that you have to walk through one room to get to the other. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of funny that I say that, <laughs> but what we did instead was because we wanted like some personal touch of the girls. So we actually, the artwork in our bedroom, we gave them um, paint colors that we used in the room and we gave them paint brushes and we had them paint this abstract piece of art that mm -hmm. we have hung over our bed. That's because when I look at it, I can see their little brush strokes and it reminds me of them, but yet it's not their like bright and shining faces <laughs> yeah. like looking down on me. So yeah. I, totally, I totally agree. Okay, cool. Yeah, I just, I agree. Like they're everywhere and it's easy to forget like, you know, how your family started and that it started with the two of you, you know? And sometimes uh, you don't want to see them. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I like I we was trying to not put it that bluntly, but yes. Yes, we love them dearly, but like there also needs to be, it, it's, it's about like setting boundaries, which mm -hmm. I also learned, you know, in my own sort of like work and, and boundaries are so important and it's so hard particularly when you're in the thick of things with raising children to not have those clear boundaries. But I do feel like setting a boundary for yourself. And even when you walk in your room and you're like, this is my space, then just helps to set this perspective that like, yes, our kids are obviously important. We love them, but also there are limits to and boundaries that we should set with our children. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes not having photos up is a great way to start. Mm -hmm. What, you mean they're not the center of the universe? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Don't tell them that. Yeah. I know. I know I do. I love my children dearly, but I do like a calm retreat of a right. space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, just to wrap things up a little bit, which I think it is hard to put a nice pretty bow on this, but I'm going to make you try anyway. <laughs> um, what would you like people to take away from your platform and your mission? So one thing that I like to say is that there really are simple ways that we can all tidy up our lives, whether it be our physical spaces or whether it be, um, you know, our professional lives or our relationships with others. Um, that oftentimes we, it's easy for us to ignore that like inner voice inside our heads that it's almost like a conscious of telling us like what does feel good or what doesn't feel good um, or what does bring joy or what doesn't. Um, mm -hmm. And so the tidying process is really about how can we bring order to the messes that are around us. And at the end of the day, nobody has it all together not even 
like a self-described tidy dad. I don't always have it together. And I think that when you realize that those around you don't have it together and surround yourself with people who are willing to be vulnerable and share, you know, struggles, joys, um, the good and the bad, I think our overall experience is better. So I just, I just hope that people would take that away from my story that we do. We all really do have small ways that we can tidy things up. And again, at the end of the day, nobody has it all together. Yeah, I love that. And I think from hearing your story, you know, we also um, have learned and other people can see that it took you a lot of work to get where you were, to get where you are now. I mean, on the inside and then also in your home. Mm -hmm. So you didn't just you know, it took a while. And yeah. we, when we see on social media, a lot of times we just feel like, oh, they just did that so fast. Overnight. And just, yeah, voila. But that's not the case. Yeah, and the, absolutely. Also the connection with mental health, like mental clutter and physical clutter. Mm -hmm. I, I noticed that a lot in, in my own life where when my house is cluttered, my mind is yeah. cluttered and everything's harder. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's interesting to me that you felt like you were kind of dealing with some mental health, you know, issues that you were trying to, um, I don't want to say get control of, but mm -hmm. to kind of get in front of and that clearing out that physical clutter helped your mental clutter as well. I yeah. Because it's like with, w when you're tidying, like there are no amount, like I love watching the home edit. There's the show on Netflix. I don't know if you follow them on mm -hmm. Instagram. They have beautiful spaces they have beautiful product as they like to call it from the container store, but there is no amount of product that can truly like help you manage or deal with the chaos that's in your home. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with, you know, not like product of organizing bins, but it's like, there's so many things we do in our lives as either like band-aids or trying to make ourselves feel better, almost like a pacifier. But the, at the end of the day, like I shared earlier, you know, in my own mental health journey, I had tried a lot of those strategies and they worked up until a certain point until they didn't. Mm -hmm. And so that was when I really had to like dig in and figure out like, why aren't these strategies working? And it's the same with our physical spaces. You can go and buy a million bins. You can organize everything. But if you don't deal with actually the volume, the amount of stuff you're bringing in or why you feel the need to purchase and spend and buy and bring the stuff in, like you're always going to feel that feeling of being overwhelmed or like things are chaotic. Yeah. Gosh, such wisdom today. You are just, and listen, he constantly gives tidying tips on his Instagram. So if you are not following tidy dad on Instagram, you need to look him up. You are going to be constantly encouraged and see lots of ideas and actually even hire him because I noticed on your website that you actually have some offerings. Would you like to tell us about those? Yeah, I do. So um, I obviously work as a teacher during the day, but I have a lot of virtual tidying offerings um, because a lot of times what I find is that sometimes people just feel really stuck and virtual cons consultations have been really great for me to just see the space give some real-time tips mm -hmm. and then set people on their way um, to tidy and organize and just, you know, figure out how to make better use of their space. So that is a hundred percent a way that if anybody's interested, they can always reach out to me there. Um, Do you care to give us your website and Instagram handle just for those listening? Yeah. So on Instagram, I am at tidy dad. And then my website is the tidy dad.com. Perfect. Well, Tyler, um, the amount of wisdom you've shared here today, I feel like I could sit here all day and listen. So I'm going to want to check out those for myself. I know. Um, Seriously. I'm wondering if you I just need you guys... to come back to Kentucky for a vacation and visit all of our houses because oh my gosh. yes. Well, yes. I've been, for that. it's been so fun. I've been following along with your new school and I'm like, oh. I, I, I want to see more. I want to see more of the DIY stuff. Mm -hmm. I know. I know. I feel it's like coming. you could have, a, I feel like you could have a whole account <laughs> and all of these companies that would just give you a bunch of stuff. Right. I mean, right. I know. 
if this wasn't an idea that like needs to poof happen I know more social media time maybe eventually we'll share more about what got us there (laughs) and everything takes work like it's 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 all so much it's all so much time yes well one of the things you've talked about is you know just um I feel like even tidying up just your marriage and like the sacredness of your space and everything. So we are in awe, of course, with you having New York city in that area for date nights. So give us your favorite date night. We like to finish with like popcorn fun questions. So what would your old favorite New York city date night be? Favorite New York city date night. I mean, the best thing about living in New York city is that you're only like a subway ride away. And so like, pre-pandemic the very last date that we went on um was Whoopi goldberg had this book on party planning and tablescapes which i know sounds so strange (laughs) that Whoopi goldberg would write one but Whoopi goldberg has um she has all of these like trinkets and objects that she's collected that just bring her joy throughout her life and so what she does is she puts them on display in the middle of her table and she creates conversation pieces because the idea is, is that your table should inspire like conversation amongst your guests, that it's a great way to just pull out photographs or objects or trinkets or just things that are just like funny and playful that people might enjoy. So our very last date night was to go and see Whoopi Goldberg speak. So what I love is that any person that you like want to see they always come to new york they're always just a subway right away and the tip is these people always have to leave their theaters there is always a backdoor entrance so as soon as the show ends you have to immediately leave walk the perimeter of the building and find where their car is standing. <laughs> and i'm not saying this in a creepy way because they typically have gates up but as someone who has loved Whoopi Goldberg since 1992 and Sister Act came out, which means that I was six, Mm -hmm. um, I got to take my photo with Whoopi Goldberg. And this was like in February of 2020. So one of the last things that I did was I got to see and talk to Whoopi Goldberg and get my picture taken. Wow. We just like go out to eat and come home. So that's... (laughs) But that's the thing. It's like, we're just so reminded and we do that also yeah like there, know. you know like there are the typical things but when you want to do something like extraordinary it's right there yeah. and like I love taking the girls to the ballet and like the premier ballet companies of the world come to New York City mm-hmm. and you can go and see them and you can get tickets for like $30 um, you know which is just amazing to have this like cultural experience and it's all just one subway right away that's amazing Mm -hmm. i mean truly uh, what an experience um let's talk about you and tell us do you have a hidden talent do i have a (laughs) hidden talent um now so one of them is that i can say all 50 states in order um, we the same person in Hi. one breath. <laughs> okay, well, I can't do it in one breath. That's too much. So, like, I like that is I actually I actually just pulled that out with the girls because um, I hadn't taught that to them. So that is, I mean, I think that that's a very important life skill. I mean, we need to hear it. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, so let's really see. I think that I really could do it. Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Wyoming. That was it. Wow. The 50 nifty United States. Yes. That's amazing. Yes. Hi. That is, wow. a, that is a school teacher hidden talent if I have ever seen one. Oh my gosh, yes. I am embarrassed to admit I don't know if I could get them all down with infinite amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just have to memorize the song. Yes, yes, or it helps. See? <laughs> well, Tyler, it has been a joy to talk to you today, and we know that your time is precious, and 
that you could be organizing something right now or teaching a classroom of students. So we are just so appreciative of you taking the time to talk to us. And I'm so excited to put this episode out and share it with our listeners because not only is it going to help um, someone who may be dealing with some mental health things as well, or maybe being in a rut where you were before you made all these changes. But I also think that it's going to help people who are at home sitting in their playroom, looking at all the toys on their kitchen floor <laughs> and needing to know where to start. So thank you for your wealth of knowledge and thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on the show today. We hope that you have been encouraged by the story that you just heard. Our heart is that the more you share our podcast, the more we can proclaim God's glory and we can inspire others to live on mission right where they are. We challenge you to notice people around you and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Please subscribe to, share, and rate our podcast. Do you or someone you know have a story that we could share? Send us a message at glorytellerspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram to further the encouragement and details for upcoming shows at Glorytellers. And as always, don't forget to check out the show notes for more resources. See you next time. Thank you.